GP Insights, a health cert podcast. Practical advice for busy GPs on how to treat with confidence and grow their practice. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us for this week's podcast. And we're going to be talking about cosmetic injectables, adverse events, uh, focusing on vascular occlusion. But in this episode, we're going to delve into the world of cosmetic injectables and discuss adverse events for of anti-wrinkle injections and dermal filler treatments. And we'll explore the essential steps to handle these situations effectively that ensure a safe and informed practice. Now, I'd like to introduce you to our guest speaker. It's Kelly Beasy from uh, KB Aesthetics. Kelly's a nurse practitioner and cosmetic medicine trainer with over 20 years of experience and over 10 years experience in the aesthetics industry. Welcome, Kelly. Hi, thanks for having me. Excellent. So can you just introduce yourself a little bit and just a little bit about your professional background? Yeah, absolutely. So I um, sort of found myself working for a plastic surgeon early on in my nursing career and then went back to emergency nursing. And after um, almost 10 years in emergency nursing, I, I sort of felt I needed to do something a little bit different and found my way back into aesthetic medicine, which I absolutely love. It's given me a lot of flexibility to have that work-life balance. And um, nowadays I do a lot of education, which sort of fulfills my need to sort of educate people and make the industry a little bit safer while treating my patients privately in my own little practice. So I get to do the best of both worlds, in my opinion. I love it. Fabulous. Now, what are the most common complications that doctors may encounter with cosmetic injectables and how could they be prevented or minimised? Yeah, so I guess probably the two most common treatments that we would do would be anti-wrinkle and dermal filler. So with anti-wrinkle, Probably the most common sort of, I would say, side effect that we see more so than adverse event is a little bit of asymmetry in the forehead. In terms of adverse events, true adverse events with anti-wrinkle, that would be brow ptosis or eyelid ptosis from maybe incorrect positioning of our dosing. And then when we're talking dermal fillers, the big one that we can see is a vascular occlusion where filler gets inadvertently injected into the blood supply and we end up with compromised blood supply in the area. So those would be the two sort of big things. And as far as how they can be prevented or minimised? Yeah, so I guess with anti-wrinkle, it's really about understanding your anatomy, understanding the muscle attachments, where the muscles sit in with the adjacent muscles so that we're not injecting too big a dose in too close to a, a muscle that could cause a, a droop or a ptosis. So really um, being aware of the distance between sort of the brow attachment in the frontalis and how high up in the frontalis we want to inject to avoid that brow heaviness. And with the lid ptosis, it would be about understanding the depth of the corrugator muscle. So the uh, insertion and attachment and that will guide our dose that we use so that should keep us safe if we have a good understanding of anatomy with vascular occlusion look they can happen to the best of us so i guess it's just understanding where the major blood vessels lie and having a really good understanding of what to do if something were to go wrong and how we're going to treat that and can you share like a personal experience when you've encountered a complication from either any wrinkle or dermal fillers and how you managed it effectively yeah, so I've been very lucky in that I haven't had too many adverse events, touch wood. But uh, last year during a training session, we actually had um, 
vascular occlusion in a lip during the first time this poor nurse had done a set of lips and we had a significant vascular occlusion there. That took a couple of hours for us to resolve and it just was a matter of chasing the blood vessel, the artery, reassessing, doing some treatment, reassessing, and then using our knowledge of anatomy to to work out where the likelihood of that occlusion might be. So it was a bit of a stressful uh, situation for the per or trainee. But luckily, I think that if you have a good understanding on how to treat it, you can keep the stress and the um, anxiety to a minimum and just get on with treating the, the adverse event. And so can you sort of provide some general guidelines or key steps for doctors to follow when facing a potential vascular inclusion? Yeah, so I guess giving a really good thorough consult before you start treating is really important. So the patient knows that this can happen regardless of of the skill of the injector. So if they know that it's a possibility, then it's going to be a little easier to deal with their anxiety and them in, in the height of the occlusion and afterwards. But knowing what to look for, so we're looking for sort of pale, mottled or dusky skin in and around the area we treated, but we need to be aware that it can occur anywhere on the face. Because the nature of the blood vessel is that if that emboli or filler gets into the blood supply, it can travel. So we might be injecting the lips and we might see evidence of peripheral occlusion in the frontalis, for example. So knowing that we need to look at the whole face and assess that. So we would be knowing what we look for. We need to know how we're going to draw up our hyaluronidase, which is our dissolving agent where to inject it, how much to inject, and knowing the pathway of the larger blood vessels so that we can chase the likely path that the emboli might have taken. So I think if we're comfortable with how to manage it and that we have all of our equipment nearby and we know how to draw it up, then we can calmly address it. Like with all areas of medicine, dealing with an anaphylaxis or something like that, it's about knowing your equipment and how to deal with the adverse event that will help you get through it a lot quicker, I believe. Yeah, awesome. And then from a legal perspective, what are some of the potential implications for doctors if a complication arises from injectable treatments and how can they safeguard themselves from any potential legal issues that might arise? Yeah, I guess it really depends on the significance and the severity of the adverse event. I mean, some serious adverse events will probably end up with litigation. So there is a potential for blindness or stroke with dermal fillers. And I think if that were to occur, then that is obviously going to go to the courts, I suppose. Giving your patient a really thorough consultation prior to starting, they need to have a true informed consent about what they're signing up for. So that includes consenting someone up to and including blindness and stroke. And they even say death now. Even if it is only lips and the likelihood of that blindness is very minimal, we do need to give them the full scope of what can potentially go wrong and we need to do that both in written and in verbal form so set yourself up with a clear understanding of what's going on really do you know education do your due diligence with cadaver courses so that if and when you were to come to an adverse event that you have all of those courses behind you that you can provide as evidence of your education And being prepared, having the appropriate amount of the hyaluronidase present in your clinic. So we now know that we need more than just one vial in clinic. We need at least five to 10 vials in clinic. So being prepared and then just managing it well with your patient. I think that with all adverse events, the outcome from the patient perspective is is how well you deal with that from a communication and thoroughness perspective and really just keeping your patient informed. Yeah, I can't agree with you more. And I I think it sort of goes into the next question really around, you know, I mean, obviously documentation is important. I think we all know that writing a few lines is 
not going to stand up in court and definitely is not ideal. But from you know the documentation that you would take from a, a patient record perspective, but also to safeguard you know from potential legal issues. I mean, do you use templates? I mean, how do you structure that sort of that documentation of the record? Uh, adequately enough that, as I said, from a legal perspective, would protect yourself well? Yeah, I guess this is the tricky question. And probably we would want a, le- uh, a lawyer to buy in on what is the appropriateness of our notes. But for me, um, I do um, have a very thorough consult and a very thorough consent that my patient signs. Nowadays, we do need to consent them for a financial consent. So that is included with my written consent. I um, go through it verbally with my patient. And then in my documentation, I write what the patient has presented for, what we've discussed. I actually write that we have discussed all potential adverse events and side effects, including infection, vascular occlusion, blindness, stroke. All of the things are listed in there. And then I write exactly what I have done with the patient. I write about what needle size I've used. I write what cannula I've used, where I've placed the product, how much I've placed within those areas. And then I write that we've had a discussion about the aftercare and what to look for in the event of an adverse event. So I write that in my documentation and therefore I feel like I've really covered myself from a, from a really thorough perspective. If anyone were to go back and read, it's very clear what I discuss with my patient. So I'm hopeful that that is enough for the lawyers, but yeah, yep. never, I've yet to be yeah, brought up. <laughs> I don't think anyone wants to be, but I think to your point, it is definitely the relationship that, you know, the physician has with the patient. I mean, I mean, from our experience, you know, if uh, typically if, uh, you know, you get the patient offside, then obviously they'll tend to, you know, go the legal path, whereas obviously communicate well and, you know, things don't always go right as long as they know that you'll have their best care in mind and communicate effectively with them. You know, they tend not to uh, run down the the legal path as such. Um, Absolutely. Switch gears a little bit and to just talk about some of the best practices of aftercare uh, following, you know, anti-wrinkle or filler treatments. And then, you know, how you can educate your patients to also ensure they do the proper post-treatment care. Yeah, I think, you know, we we just assume that people listen thoroughly to us and remember what we say. But if we say to someone, I want you not to touch the area, put any direct pressure, do this, do that. Nine times out of 10, they've forgotten what we ran through before they even get in the car. It's out of their mind. So I think the best practice would be to give them a written form of that aftercare with explicit instructions of what they can and can't do. So the aftercare with anti-wrinkle is probably a little more important than the aftercare of dermal filler in some ways because direct pressure to the area that was treated with anti-wrinkle will increase the risk of the patient having a ptosis. So I have had one ptosis in my 12 years. It was a lid ptosis and the gentleman went and had a massage within a couple of hours of his anti-wrinkle treatment, which obviously has put direct pressure over the area and moved it into the uh, levator palpebrae causing a lid ptosis. So nowadays I give my patient a card with their written aftercare on it. They also receive an email from me with all of the aftercare set out there for them. I do do a a review for my first-time patients at the two-week mark or four weeks for dermal filler. But yeah, just having a good communication, go through it verbally with them, give them written information so that they can reflect back on that when they get home and they've finished doing what they're doing for the day and they have the time to to really focus on, on what they can and can't do. I think it's really important. Plus, I think that will cover you legally if you've given them something to take away with them. 
Yeah, I know in our practices we have pre and post procedure information sheets because to your point, you know, the patient basically is not going to remember everything you've said when they walk out the door. And exactly. uh, you know, at least then, you know, because there's just, most of the adverse events happen after they've left the practice, not when they're actually in the practice. And uh, we're obviously yeah. keen to make sure they do the right things when they get home. And then the other one is just, you mm. know, from your experience, I mean, some strategies to effectively manage patient expectations prior to administering cosmetic injectables and, you know, and how you can ensure that patients have realistic goals for their treatment. Yeah. I guess for me, it really comes down to creating a really open and honest communication and creating good rapport with your patients. So I do spend a bit of time to create that rapport with my patients so that they feel comfortable with me. I know I go through everything with them quite in depth prior to their first ever treatment. And then every time I see them again, I just review the main things with the adverse events and and what they can and can't do with the post-care. I think that if you take the time to create a good rapport, even if you have an adverse event, if you've got a good rapport and you treat your patient with kindness and respect and empathy, they're going to still have confidence in you and they're going to continue to see me. The adverse event I spoke about earlier, the lip filler and vascular occlusion, the poor lady, we we took about two and a half hours to resolve this. She had lots of injections of hyaluronidase, which is quite painful. But we had discussed uh, vascular occlusion. We had discussed prior to treatment that we would need to dissolve if it were to occur. And all throughout, we kept checking in with her. We did a lot of things to minimize her pain, to reassure her, to make sure that she was okay. I followed up with her multiple times, both in person and and in phone, over the phone, over a period of, you know, three to four weeks. And she still sees me today. We have refilled her lips and she has absolute confidence in me and has given me glowing reviews. So really the way that you deal with them before, during and after any consult or adverse event will guarantee their satisfaction. If you are a little bit sort of brush with them and you minimize their concerns, then, you know, they won't feel valued and heard. So I think it's just treat people the way that you would like to be treated yourself. And that hopefully will guarantee ongoing client relationship. Should be the motto of all things, treat people like the way you want to be treated. It's actually uh, not necessarily the golden rule, there's the platinum rule as well. But um, so the last question I have got for you, Kelly, is um, any advice you'd have for, for doctors who are new to the field to minimize the risk of complications and enhance patient safety and satisfaction in the practice? Yeah. First of all, I would say, again, educate your patient and just let them know that adverse events happen to everyone, no matter their experience. That's why they're called adverse events. So don't be too hard on yourself if it does happen. I mean, it's going to happen at some point in our careers. So just, first of all, don't be too hard on yourself. Educate yourself in terms of your anatomy. Make sure that you know your vascular anatomy really well and make sure you know your muscular anatomy with anti-wrinkle. And then be really comfortable with your adverse events protocol, where your high laser is located, how you're going to make it up, what you're going to give them. And build a support network is also really important. So build a network of other injectors that you can call for help. There is something called AMET, which is the Aesthetic Medical Emergency Team. They're an Australian-wide adverse events support network, a very, very good organization. And I think also don't rush your treatments. I think sometimes if you have previously been in the GP setting, you have very short appointment time and being sure to give the treatment the time it takes. I think when we rush, bad things happen. So give it time. This is a very different side of medicine where it's, you know, a little bit more time consuming, a bit about building rapport and 
taking your time to get good aesthetic outcomes and safe outcomes is really important. Awesome. Plus invest in education, 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 education. Yeah. And I think I said to your point before, you know, having that. So if there is an adverse event and you can clearly show that you actually have, well, you have obviously done the training to be able to do what you're doing and understand it all is definitely a lot better than not having it at all completely. So yeah, um, definitely. I think that there's, um, sorry, I think there's a little tendency to try and do more and more areas to upskill very, very quickly. But I think you need to be mindful that you don't want to do any treatments that are outside of your educational capacity until you have done thorough training in those. And that will keep your insurance people satisfied too. Yeah. I mean, as I said, it's always better to be flat safe than obviously take the risk. As I said, it's, it's always interesting, you know, doing a slightly more complex thing whilst it might be attractive to do, but obviously comes with risk and you're definitely much better to play it safe and and develop those skills in time and as I said, do the additional training and take it in a stepwise progression. But uh, look, can I thank you very, very, very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And um, I look forward to uh, speaking with you soon and like to thank everybody that's joined us on the podcast today. I hope you found the content useful and we look forward to... um, sharing another podcast with you very soon. Thank you. See you later. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe so you can get updates whenever we post more. And please share it with others. And for more info, please go to healthcert.com.